This is The Dime, a 10-minute dive into the cannabis and hemp industry through trends, insights, predictions, and tangents. What's up, guys? This is The Dime. As always, I've got my man, Kellen Finney, here. And this week, we've got a special guest since we're doing Delta 8 Part 2. I've got Dr. Matt Moore with us to kind of break down Delta 8 and all the fun things about it. Matt, how you doing? Thanks for joining us. Can you share a little about your background and what you do in the space? Hi, so I'm a principal scientist at a company called Venuvia Manufacturing, and we actually are licensed to make cannabinoids for uh, the use for treating childhood epilepsy and also another one called Syndros, which has actually been marketed since the 80s. A lot of people don't know this, but THC has been legal for specific uses for cancer patients, for nausea, and for age-related pain uh, since the mid-80s. But it is a very, very hard-to-get-prescribed drug. And obviously, in recent years, that's become a little less so because um, they're allowing doctors to more kind of prescribe things off-label because they say, well, you're the doctor, and this is a drug that in other states and other countries has been seen to have an effect. So you can prescribe it off-label, but Syndros is one that people are still pretty wary of. People, some people say that they don't have the uh, same kind of what you would call high uh, experience, and that's like would be people who have taken samples and concentrated them down and had what is a pure THC experience, which most people are not accustomed to, and that can cause like a, psycho- a psychosis event. So, you know, interesting things out there in the uh, cannabinoid world, but we're We've been there since, well, so we've been Benuvia since 2018 and uh, making cannabinoids and working on expanding that, developing uh, pathways forward into the synthetic routes for things like CBDV that are harder to come by out of the plant. Um, if you wanted to isolate enough CBDV to essentially create the same market that CBD has, then you would be talking about growing millions of acres uh, and isolating the CBDV away from the CBD and everything else that's in the plant. So synthetic is definitely going to be the way to go for the miners, at least until you know they engineer enough yeast and batches to make it easier. So let's 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 talk a little further about that synthetic, right? And to kind of back it up a little bit, can I buy a, a Delta Eight edible online right now? Well, it's interesting what the DEA has to say about D8 because it is an analog, but it's not Delta 9. But it's kind of weird in the way, the way that the analog act is written. So I would not want to have anything shipped across state lines with Delta 8 in it because that's where federal law comes into play. Uh, if you're buying something at a store, then I don't see any reason why not. That's perfectly legal. Well, that's perfectly not illegal. <laughs> I, I, I definitely see the gray lines you're talking about. But to confirm, when you take a Delta-8 edible, you would get high. Well, so it doesn't bind quite as strong as Delta-9 THC to the receptor. And that is what is essentially potentiates what you would consider your high. And so while it doesn't bind quite as strong, it still does bind in the same way. And so it will get you high. You just need more of it. Um, it's a relatively non-toxic compound, so that's not a hyper concern. But the more concern that I would have is Delta-8 is not generally something that you just naturally come across in the plants, generally produced or synthesized. And what I can do in my 
multi-million dollar lab and DEA scheduled and FDA registered building is not the same that I can do in my garage. And also validating what's not left in there and what is left in there is uh, wildly different between uh, my garage and, and my office. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And Kellen, uh, I want to ask you first and then go back to Matt. When Matt talks about not naturally occurring in the plant, so how, how does that work? What does that really mean? Delta-8 is not part of the metabolic pathway that is responsible for the formation of cannabinoids in the cannabis sativa plant. So it is not a product that is generated through the biochemical reactions that are standard for generating like Delta-9. CBN, right? Like there's no enzyme that produces CBN, or at least not one that we found. Yeah, totally. And I honestly, the CBN thing is a quick little tangent. I haven't seen any CBN in really old material either that I've seen certain claims in literature. And I mean, I've handled material and tested it personally. That's been a decade old and zero CBN. The only CBN I ever saw was I had to actually synthetically convert Delta 9 to CBN through uh, prolonged exposure to high, a lot of kinetic energy, right? So, yeah, if you look at the really old papers, the Matulin papers in the 60s and some of those even before that in the 40s, they, they don't ever refer to it as, as cannabis sativa. They always refer to it as hash cannabis or cannabis hash, which leads me to suspect that they're probably referring to the actual hash product, which is generally baked and, and has a little bit of oil in it. So I think that's probably why they're more readily finding that in, you know, 70, 80 years ago, as opposed to this greenery that in modern times has grown to be 30% THC. So. Hey, thanks for clearing that up. I was really wondering about that for a long time. <laughs> so also, that makes a lot of sense. Who reads literary papers from the forties? Like, really? Well, is that, was that a real, so, a real no, thing? I mean, there's a blackout on literature, right? From like the mid sixties all the way through until like five years ago, essentially. And so there's just no cannabis because it was so outlawed because it was obviously just so terrible that, that we couldn't even do research. I mean, Machulam found that CBD attenuated uh, seizures in 1981, right? And then it was 22 years before they approved that as a drug to treat childhood epilepsy. Like it's, I mean, like it's just, because of a perception, right? That I mean, there's nothing about the plant that makes it bad. So do you think Delta-8 is a cannabinoid that's here to stay? Or are you kind of leaning towards this is a fad? Oh, well, so I've read online. And so, you know, I mean, take that with a grain of salt, that there are fewer reports of people having what would be considered like a THC psychosis. And I would assume that's because of its lower activity. People who kind of chronically hit a vaporizer pin, maybe, um, just out of habit, as opposed to someone who like isn't intending to like smoke. If you were to do that with Delta 9, then you would be taking in a lot more THC that's going to your brain and causing you to have a lot more of these psychedelic effects as opposed to this Delta-8, which doesn't seem to have quite the same attenuation. So if you were like, if you were someone who chronically smoked for anxiety or something like that, I could see how that might be better than D9 just because it's like a dosage factor, right? Like the first time you do mushrooms, you don't want to be doing 15 grams of mushrooms and being left alone in the woods, right? So like, <laughs> don't, don't do that with anything. 
that sounds like that hits home pretty pretty close. So, to you, so I hope someone did. Matt, that's the, Matt, that's the second time you talked about the binding affinity. I have a, a random thought. So when you eat delta nine, your body metabolizes it, and technically it's eleven hydroxy that binds with your receptors, and it has a higher binding affinity, which is why people tend to kind of get a little more stoned when they eat edibles for the first time versus uh, in um, getting into their bloodstream through inhalation. Are you familiar? Does Delta eight form the same molecule just now? It's Delta eight, 11 hydroxy. Do you know anything about that? So I haven't read anything specifically on the metabolic pathway, but um, the, so just as a speculation, the metabolite that a urinalysis looks at uh, binds specifically to the 11 hydroxy metabolite and you fail a piss test with Delta eight. So I would assume that it's the 11 hydroxy position still. Uh, it seems like there was at least one report in mice that it makes the 11 hydroxy. So that also would contribute to the idea that you get more of a body high where it kind of goes to your nerve cells systemically as opposed to just going to your brain where if you have a rapid overlay of, of a given compound, then it's gonna go straight to your brain, right? Um, but if you in, ingest it slowly through your stomach, then it has more of a potentiated effect throughout the whole body and systemic release. And so I think that that may have some of the uh, altered effects that are described as well. Awesome. Yeah, awesome. My questions of follow up to the previous one is you were referring to Delta A with anxiety could be better suited in that. Can can someone go into a dispensary and ask for a certain product that has that? Is that going to be one? I know that there's certain sites that you wouldn't recommend purchasing over the line for potential gray areas, but if you were in a store, maybe not so bad. But in a dispensary store, if I'm looking for a D8 product, can I find one readily available? Or what do you think about that? I mean, I'm in Texas, so it's always a weird question of what we can find, right? Because of course, anything that's a gray area will definitely be in stores here. But if you're in a legal state, then it's kind of the question of, well, why, right? Like one, why risk, why, why go with something that, you know, has to be chemically altered in order to produce it from someone who may or may not be sketchy until there's regulation in the industry. The less steps between me and the product are probably the best number of steps. So like, until there's regulation, I, I mean, I wouldn't really personally be super hyped on it. But if you're in a state where it's not not legal and you're interested in trying, then you can definitely find them. And I would just recommend going online and looking at the more reputable brands or just, you know, being judicious with your where you spend your money. As always. In Colorado, it's not. Uh, I can speak uh, honestly that it is not in any dispensaries. I know a couple companies that tried to launch D8 products and they failed miserably. No one buys them. I mean, at the end of the day, people go in and exactly what Matt just said. Why am I going to buy this weird D8 thing that I don't really understand when I can literally buy that Delta 9 thing that I know is going to get me high? (laughs) I know it came from a plant and that's what the cannabis industry is about. So like, I don't know what this Delta 8 thing you're trying to sell me is. But I think if, if there's like not enough evidence for any like clinical value in it, then there's probably enough evidence for like a wellness or nutraceutical marketing for it. And there probably will be like a D8 CBN blend. That's like, relax and go to sleep this evening. Right. Like whatever sort of uh, marketing you want to put on it. I mean, people claim that CBN puts you to sleep. I mean, I don't know. The only CBN gummies I've ever had also had melatonin. So that's a little bit 
unfair. Um, if you wanted to sell that product, you would you would market it as like mom of three kids after school. And yeah, it would crush. Yeah, the, sleep. the the chill high, right? Like you're right. not. You're not a twenty. You're not twenty anymore, right? You're not going out and getting blazed. You're just getting a little hot. Just like feeling good. <laughs> just like a couple glasses of wine on the couch, feeling good. Exactly. All right, listener question: Synthetic cannabinoids. What do you say to the people who are wondering if a cannabinoid is not in its original form and it's been altered? It's not exactly pure, and that means I prefer not to have that. Is that something you would agree with, disagree with? And is that something you think is, is going to be a common issue in the space? Well, I have a linear thought process on this. I, one, a molecule is a molecule. There is something to be said for what would be called polypharmaceuticals, where there's multiple cannabinoids and, and that could have an effect on them. I'm not going to like argue about that. But a, a molecule is a molecule. And if anything, what we make is more pure than what you're going to get out of the plant because we can guarantee that there are other things that may be hidden under a given chromatogram or under a given mass spec or anything like that, right? Because we don't have things underneath our given molecule because we never introduce them. Whenever you're trying to isolate it out of a plant that is made up of hundreds to thousands of different molecules, then, you know, if you're talking about wanting a pure molecule, then you just can't be a synthetic route because it, it ensures that you're going to get what you want. Now, do I trust anyone with that? Absolutely not. The things that I play with and the things that I use and the things that are used in everyday chemicals like Tylenol, they are incredibly toxic. There are things in there that will straight up, like if you were to have contamination, people would die, which is why we have these rules in place. Right, And we have to follow these FDA and DEA rules in order to validate and keep documentation so that way if in five years someone has one of our pills and then they die from it because it was contaminated with something, then they still get to sue us. Like Until, until the rest of the industry is that way, then I wouldn't want to go with off-the-shelf synthetics. But nature doesn't make things for us. right? We find things in nature that work for us, and the cannabinoids are things that we found in nature. We endogenously produce cannabinoids. Those are the ones that we make and use are intended for us. Everything else are things we found along the way. And to assume that those cannabinoids are the best ones for the things that we intend is kind of naive, in my opinion. Let's talk about Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. That's right. No more excuses. Get your lazy ass off the couch. Go start a podcast. There's the creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone with computer. Once again, no more excuses. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. Could it be easier? Even better, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. They're paying us for this ad. Thank you very much, Anchor. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started now. I guess that was really well said. Yeah, I think it's really well said. So to continue on that is how does one know in a dispensary whether or not the, the products and the components within the, the product that they're purchasing have been altered, synthetic, or like how does would one make that decision? Unfortunately, uh, I don't think you know. You don't. And that I was just gonna kind of 
uh, piggyback on what you were saying about purity, Matt, that, um, and items being hidden in chromatographs and, and kind of that whole line of thinking is that, well, like heavy metals, right? That's another aspect. And I mean, at the Emerald Conference last year, the topic of vaporizer cartridges came came up and there was the guy who um, developed the apparatus using different vaporizer cartridges. Well, if you use the wrong type of heating coil, there's, I think, oh, some heavy metal. There was a heavy metal that burns out of it whenever it gets too hot. So if you overheat your coil, then now you're vaporizing a heavy metal that's not in your plant even. So it's not even just the ingredients themselves like device development is also something that needs to be regulated in this industry right because things like the vaporizer cartridge well that's not like it depends on what you put on that coil right like on the base of your cartridge or if there is a polymer you didn't account for you can you took one that goes up to 360 because most people run their rigs at 340 well this guy runs his at 375 and it burns it out well it was a cyanopolymer and now you killed him like these types of things are are not monitored out in the free in the free market the way that uh people would would suspect and and even people who are intending to do good and not intending any harm can still cause a great deal of it yeah what's the, the there's the hexavalent chromium and the was it trivalent chromium one of them is like absolutely toxic yeah the hexavalent it it's the that's the Aaron Brockovich uh, yeah, so they're actually in China. Yeah. The, a lot of the vape pens early on were plating the coils with hexavalent chromium. Yeah, because chromium is what you put over your steel to make sure it stays shiny and doesn't corrode whenever it gets hot. And then exactly. if it gets too hot, then the chromium burns off. Exactly. <laughs> so I guess at the end of the positive note out of that whole situation is that at least Colorado now is taking a stance on instead of testing the oil for um, a COA when you're putting it in a vape pen they're now requiring companies to submit a fully packaged cartridge and then they're going to, they heat it up and then they're analyzing the vapor that's being off of the cartridge to then try to catch that exact thing that we were just talking about. Which like is the point of have of taxing an industry in the first place, right? Which Colorado has done great things with their tax money and don't get me wrong, but the fact that that's something that they're just now addressing billions <laughs> of dollars is, is not, is not fair to consumers and citizens who are like trust their government to enforce a market that's going to like have products that aren't going to kill them right like and it doesn't matter what product that is right like that's what our consumer safety protection board is supposed to be for i think matt like to expand on that you told us one time like perfectly said you've got people who don't know what they're doing making rules about things that they don't know and it just accentuates that area that in, even in Colorado, where all these good things that they're doing is they probably don't have somebody in place that understands conceptually all these things that are happening, because if so, likely this sort of testing would have been in place long ago. Right. Yeah. So, and I mean, and it's, it's different standards to different industries, like a wellness industry versus nutraceutical, right? Like nutraceutical has like a de- an FDA definition, but you also can't sell these things as food because well, CBD has been recognized as a drug. And due to that, the FDA is never going to say that it's not a drug because they've granted that license and it, and it has, it's like basically because they won't go back on their word. And that's how governments work. The rest of them, someone's going to have to volunteer to do a safety study, right? I mean, they've done it with CBD and it takes, like, I mean, 
I'm pretty sure the mice must be throwing clots before they actually die from the CBD toxicity because of how much they inject them with. But like, I mean, these other, these other molecules are no more toxic, but no one wants to spend the $5 million to prove that these molecules are generally recognized as safe to sell them as a food or a nutraceutical. No, I mean, it, I mean, it's tough, right? And I think it's like hindsight's twenty twenty, right? A lot of these people, they want the industry to be present. The people voted on it. And then they now are like trying to slam a square peg into a round hole being like, okay, well, consumers want it. And now we have to go through and figure out the proper ways to do all of these testings and verify that it's safe. And I mean, it costs a ton of money. And not only that, but it requires it's not like any average Joe can go conduct something like that. You know what I mean? So it requires really skilled individuals to take time out of their life to facilitate that kind of research. What about time? How long does that, I mean, the missing factor in that, sure, all those other things are very hard, but time cannot be accelerated. No matter how much money or people you have, like you can't accelerate time in order to, to see the development over, over like a duration. Yeah. And uh, as far as like getting new molecules out into the, it's, I'm worried that it, they're going to turn it into a game as well of, well, so CBDV is in trials right now. GW has that as essentially, well, CBDV has a faster uptake than CBD. So it should be better at stopping seizures than CBD, presumably. Well, GW has just, well, they are hiring like 15 chemists in uh, the UK and they're starting a full new branch um, related to their cannabinoid drugs, but they currently Epidiolux is a, is a, is a phytobotanical drug that's grown indoors. And like, it's extremely stringent rules about how it has to be grown. And, and um, I mean like the same sorts of like test specs that you have for our pharmaceutical processes, but with growing a plant and, but now they're hiring all these chemists. Well, I'm assuming it's because they, can't you know isolate enough cbdv to support their clinical trials and so they're going to have to synthesize it but if they do that and they call that one a, if they call that a drug and give it a drug license then that's another molecule that will never be able to be sold like over the counter things like that i mean there are obviously like slight alterations that you can do to be different but then you're again talking about synthetics and so the longer that you wait the more people like gw are going to come along and be like well, while it's not worth it to try to put this one molecule through clinicals, I can make this formulation. And if I'm ahead of everyone else and I make it a drug, then it stops anyone else from being incentivized to do it. And it's all about money. So, yeah, that's a, it's going to be an interesting path to see who kind of takes that route and who doesn't. And at the end of the day, you're right, right? It is all about money and how to position yourself with a moat to continually protect yourself from the evolution of an industry that needs a ton and a ton of research and super smart people to kind of figure out how to protect the consumers. Because unfortunately, we walk into dispensaries and we just assume that the products behind the counter are safe. They got a label on it. It means it's safe, right? Someone literally put a label on it, man. There's also an interesting DEA perspective, which they've kind of walked back a little bit, but we're just playing the game right now because until they really get their rules set in stone, we're unsure. But that if it's phytobotanically sourced, CBD is unscheduled, but if it's synthetic, it might be scheduled. And so we're doing a lot of our work with CBD isolate in order just to be safe, right? Like I do a lot of my research with that instead of using our synthetic stuff. One, it's also a lot cheaper to get uh, CBD phytoisolate than it is to get synthetic. And it, it, 
there, a guy told me that he could get me a COA. And, and, I, and, he, and I said, what do you mean? And he was like, well, how pure does it need to be? And I'm like, no, I'm buying this. <laughs> and he was just, yeah, I did not buy it. So, <laughs> but like, I'm talking to this guy and he wants to tell me what purity he's going to say his isolate is based off of what I want to put on my label. And yeah. that right there is, there's just so many bad actors right now out in the space. And that's why you can't really trust a lot of things out there. So let's go to this. It's prediction time. Has Delta 8, and Matt, you go first, has Delta 8 reached its peak of potential? And if not, what is the potential by the time Kellen has determined we're at federal adult use by 2024? One something super pessimistic is Kellen's chosen his time. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's a race, right? Like again, it's not going to be popular in any state where where D nine is legal. Like, like, like if you don't want to be as high, don't smoke as much. Like, <laughs> um, if it, if you particularly like it, maybe there is a niche market. Again, like I said, people who are like chronic smokers and just want to have something that is tastes like a vape pen and. I mean, D8 is more stable. It's not going to turn that nasty black color on you. It doesn't, it doesn't just suck oxygen out of the air. It, it's significantly more stable. So you think it, it's reached its peak? No, because I think there's plenty of Midwest states that are, aren't depressed enough yet. So, Kellen, your thoughts? I think, um, I think, it's, I think it's, it's peaking right now. I think maybe another year, maybe... 12 to 18 months, I think. Um, once New York and kind of some of these larger states um, actually have a, a rec market available, I think then you'll actually see it start to die off, right? Like you can go get uh, TA Delta 9 products in New Jersey. I think that's going to eliminate a lot of the East Coast market for the, the Delta 9 right now, right? And so, or the Delta 8, excuse me. Well, but then you got to, but look at Texas, right? I'm in Austin. I am surrounded on every border by a place that has legal marijuana, including Mexico. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I can't see D9 legally outside of work for, you know, 800 miles. I could see D9, D8 sticking around here for a minute because I also don't necessarily foresee Greg Abbott doing literally anything that Texans want. I have a friend in Texas who was looking for edibles, right? And someone sent him a website where he could buy D8. And he goes, will it get me high, right? And the response was, yeah. And then he goes, will I get in trouble if I get caught with this? And then the answer was, maybe. And he's like, wait a minute. Like, I can buy it online, but I might be able to get caught. I was like, can I just get dealt? Like, can I just get like regular edibles? And they're like, no. And he's like, okay, so, like, I maybe I'm, like, going to get this, but I might get in trouble, like, very weird. But, like, you're right. And to kind of to take the prediction is I think what you said is perfect. States that, that don't have access and a lot of states are going to be converting into adult use, they're not going to need the Delta 8. But I'm going to take a different tangent and say that there'll be some concoction, some formulation that uses a little D8 just based on what you said mixed with some other minor cannabinoids building some new beautiful entourage effect with some terpenes and some fun stuff all mixed up and someone's going to market the shit out of that product 
and it's going to have some proprietary formulation that it's going to elicit some feeling and it's going to smash because yeah, I think it'll have a place in the wellness or nutraceutical. Yeah, it's it's one of those like super rare power food things that you just combine it with like oats and blueberries and some <laughs> random seeds, and you put it in your yogurt, and like you start your day off flying. Yeah, and there's also the question of what do we do with all of this CBD? Right, you make Delta Eight. Or Delta Ten. I don't know Delta Ten is. Uh, so like that'll have to be another episode because I've got that one's up and coming. That one's up and coming. I've just started have seeing. You, have, you had any, have you ever had a Delta Ten experience? I have not. Have you? Yeah. What does that What's even it mean? Like? Well, so interestingly, do you I get high? Can you give me some basis, or am I just going to have to go into this blind? Well, whenever I I tried smoking it, and and I didn't really feel like I w- I felt like I felt lightheaded, but apart from that, I didn't feel a whole lot. Uh, as far as super high. And then I was like, all right, well, I'll just pour it on a cookie and I'll fucking eat it. And so I ate it and I ate it straight up like, I mean, I granted, I probably had like close to 300 milligrams, but uh, I straight up tripped balls in my hotel room. <laughs> we'll have to have you come on to talk about Delta 10 and kind yeah. of give the listeners a, a more of a basic understanding, including myself, on exactly what that is, how that fits, and what the how you went from tripping balls to getting high like in a very quick change is something I'm very intrigued by. So um, the last question we ask everyone starting a couple of weeks ago is, when was the last time you consumed cannabinoids? Uh about three hours ago. I love it. I love it. Thank you <laughs> yeah. so much for your time, Matt. Appreciate it. And we're going to definitely have to keep you in the loop when we expand this Delta 8 conversation, maybe have you back for some more. So thank you so much for your time. For sure. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. 99.9% of our DNA is identical. Is a 0.1% that truly makes us different and unique. And that's what the show is about. Find out that 0.1% about your favorite guests. Find out what music they like, their first cannabis experience, and even what their room looked like growing up. But more importantly, or as important, their journey. Learn what makes them unique on Everything is Personal.